Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 63 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's mom. This episode's guest is Tom Madsen, Kevin's dad, who recently wrote a book entitled Relentless from Both Sides of the Veil. In that book, Tom talks about signs that he feels like he's received from Kevin and the fact that even though our children are dead, they can still be very present in our lives. When I think about the strange, really unexplainable events that happened surrounding Andy's death, I really think about them as little messages that I get directly from God. Whether that's the experience that Andy had when he was seven, when he told me he was not going to grow up all the way and that he would be in heaven, or whether it's dreams that I have about Andy or just certain other unexplained events. I always think of them as little God winks. And I know I've had other guests use that same phrase as well. Tom really does not have a religious background, but he certainly has experienced a good amount of spirituality since the death of his son, Kevin. It has truly changed his outlook on life and death. Before we get to my conversation with Tom, I want to make an announcement that on Christmas Eve and New Year's Eve this year, I'm going to be having a couple of special episodes that I'm going to try to put together quite a bit ahead of time so that I can take a couple weeks off with my family over the holidays. So the first one of those episodes is going to be another one of those messages of hope episodes. I got so much positive feedback on that episode. As a little reminder of what that episode was like, remember the story that Tommy's mom told of when she went shopping in the store shortly after her son Tommy died and saw a display where they were selling tiny clipboards, and on one of the clipboards was a little note to Santa that said, Dear Santa, all I want for Christmas is a blue bike. Signed, your friend, Tommy H. For Tommy's mom, that was amazing to get that little message. She asked the store owner why he had written Tommy H on there, And he didn't even really know why he wrote Tommy, let alone wrote Tommy H. So it ended up just being a really comforting thing for her to be able to read. So if you have a story like that that you want to share, please email it to me. You can either type it out and send it as an email to marcy at andysmom.com or you can do an audio recording of yourself telling the story in your own words, and then I will put those together at the end. A third option would be to just write me an email, and then I can set up a little Zoom conference call that would be about five minutes where you would tell your little story. So I know I've had several people say they would 
sort of like to be on, but they don't really want to be on for a whole hour, this is your chance to tell a little tiny story to the Always Andy's Mom audience and not feel like you have to open yourself up to everything. The second episode is going to be entitled, What I Wish I Knew. This is going to be really geared towards all of those newly bereaved parents that start to listen shortly after their child's death. I get that quite often. I get little emails from people whose son or daughter died weeks or months before and that they have stumbled upon the podcast and found it really helpful. So for some of my veteran parents who have lost their child or children years before, it would be great if you could email me just a little bit of advice and just use that same format. Either email me the advice or preferably send me an audio recording of that advice or email me and I can set up a Zoom call. For both of these episodes, I'm also going to reach out to former guests who have been on the show and see if they want to offer something for one or the other of those show ideas. So if you have somebody that you really want to hear from, that you want to hear a bit of their advice, you can ask for that specifically. You can say, hey, I would like to hear from Sydney's mom or from Caleb's mom or from Chris's mom about what advice they would give us. So feel free to ask for that as well. And then one last reminder that the entire month of November, all of the donations to Always Andy's Mom will be given to the Stony Lake Cabin Project in honor of my son, Andy. If we raise $100,000, they will dedicate the great room to that first cabin to Andy. We are already over 75000 Most of that has come from my church, honestly, but I hope to receive more money from the Always Andy's Mom community if you would like to. Thank you so much for all of this support, and now I hope you enjoy Tom. Thank you so much, Tom, for agreeing to come on the show and for reaching out to me. I really am excited to talk to you today. As, as am I, and uh, thank you for having me on, and thank you for all that you're doing, Marcy. It's, uh, it's God's work. Well, thank you. So why don't you start out by telling us about your son, Kevin? Certainly. Kevin was born in 1998. He was three weeks early, uh, so he was impatient from the get-go. He was always growing up, he was always such a, a strong and healthy uh, kid. By the time he was seven, he had the musculature of a 12-year-old. So he was always very athletic. He was always much better looking than his old man. <laughs> and, uh, you know, he was just a fairly easy kid. He indulged in all the sports. He played soccer, basketball, baseball, football, and rugby. He was never a, an academic superstar. It was more, he would do very, very well in the courses that interested him the most. Most of those sure. were about maybe history. And if he wasn't as interested, you know, he, he, he knew he could, he was smart enough and he knew he was that he could muddle through and get the B, mm -hmm. uh, but he needed to try a little harder to get that A or A plus. So he was very athletic, 
very graceful. He could climb rocks and trees, you know, with amazing fearlessness and grace. Something that you had to be around him a little bit longer to pick up on though was his sensitivity. You know, if Kevin entered a room of people, he would know in just a few minutes where just about everybody in the room was um, mm -hmm. and what they were feeling and how they, how comfortable they were in the group. But he, he didn't wear that on his sleeve. He didn't show it or manifest it. You had to really get to know him for a while too, mm -hmm. to pick that up. And another thing, and probably the most important thing for your listeners to know about Kevin was he's fiercely determined that showed up in a few ways and it shows up even still. And so, you know, I, I write a little bit about how he showed up on the football field and the rugby field and, um, how he battled through his illness and outlived everybody's expectations. Mm -hmm. And then within days after he passed that determination and that fierce persistence shows up again within days after. Uh, so he's a, he's a force. He's a force to be reckoned with a huge comfort to his family and his friends. So I know uh, reading your book, you moved around a lot. So he moved around a lot too. I don't know. I moved around a lot as a kid. And in some ways, I think that gives you a little extra strength and resilience and things like that too, because you move, you kind of have to start over, you make new friends. And in his case, you moved even to different countries. So that may have played a part into some of his resilience in some ways. Uh, yes. Good, good call. And uh, let me explain to your, uh, your listeners that uh, my wife, uh, Marilene, she goes, we call her Lainey. Uh, Lainey's from Brazil. Uh, mm -hmm. We married in 1996 and Kevin came along in 98. And in my professional life, I was in corporate finance with companies like Clorox and Gillette and others. And those companies took me to places in Latin America, like Chile and Argentina. Mm -hmm. So we lived in those countries while the boys, uh, Kevin and his brother Gustavo, while the boys were growing up. Uh, in fact, Gustavo was born in Chile. And then we lived for three years in Argentina. And so we were close to Brazil because we were mm -hmm. there in Latin America. And we traveled uh, in the region and the boys were growing up trilingual. They spoke Portuguese with their mom, Lainey, and, and their Brazilian relatives. They mm -hmm. spoke Spanish with other people in the countries that they were growing up in. And for a while there, English was their third language and it was primarily just with me. Yeah. And so, uh, so yeah, they're, they're, uh, I like to think that their international background make, makes both of the boys very adaptable and uh, very uh, sort of embracing of different cultures and lifestyles. And of course, languages. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Why don't you go now into what happened with Kevin? Mm -hmm. Sure. Kevin was a sophomore in high school and he had just completed his junior varsity football campaign. And in fact, he'd done well, very well. He played both on offense and defense and he got a coach's award at the end of the season. And that was in November, early December in mid December. He had a lump on the back of his left thigh and we thought it was a muscle knot, but fast forward and we find out that it was not a muscle knot. It was, mm -hmm. it was a mass, it was a tumor and 
a biopsy came back as sarcoma, something called rhabdomyosarcoma. Mm -hmm. This is a form of cancer that is, it's not common, but it's of the cancers that occur in young adults, it's the most, it's the most common. Cancer treatments in the last two or three decades have come along quite a bit. I mean, things like lymphoma and, and leukemia and prostate cancer have high cure rates. Mm -hmm. However, sarcoma, not so much I, I, is what I hear. Mm -hmm. So the treatments for sarcomas are probably lagging some of the other uh, cancers. And so in December 2014, we start a three and a half year journey battling cancer. In that first round, Kevin took some chemotherapy to shrink the tumor, after which they did a surgery to take out the shrunken tumor, after which followed radiation and then more chemo to they hoped to wipe, wipe it out completely. This is an 11-month regimen. He lost his hair. Some of the chemo drugs were so debilitating and toxic that they were just, they just made him sick for, he would be horizontal for almost a week sometimes. Mm -hmm. So he missed a lot of school. He lost his hair. Sometimes, you know, his closest companion was, frankly, a bucket. So this went on for 11 months. At, at 11 months, they scanned and he was declared in remission. We had a party and uh, tried to pick up where he had left off with his social and high school life. But a few months later, he was at school and he, he passed out in school. Uh, he had had internal bleeding and the tumor had recurred, not, not in his leg, but this time in his sort of in his abdomen. And so we started round two. Round two included the removal of his spleen and part of his pancreas and so um and then more chemo different chemo cocktails hair loss again keeping up with school and his friends was was very difficult but he was an absolute soldier and here's where his ferocity and his determination shows up as it did throughout the whole experience you know i write in the book about one day when he had a seven o'clock in the morning radiation treatment mm -hmm. and he didn't eat beforehand and he that's followed by a two hour chemo infusion. And so he's wrapped up radiation and chemotherapy by midday. And the chemo leaves him feeling nauseous and sick and just wiped out. And he insisted after both of those treatments to go to an advanced placement European history uh, test. Wow. Uh, and, and this was something we had paid for many, many months before and we had I had forgotten all about it, quite frankly, when he resumed chemo treatments. And he told his mom, he says, no, I'm going to, because his mom was with him that day. He says, no, I'm going to keep that test. I'm going to keep that AP Euro test. And his mom actually tried to talk him out of it. Said, look, you, no one expects you to do this. You've had radio, radiation, chemo, and you haven't even eaten anything. Can I, if you're going to do this, can I at least get you something to eat? Mm -hmm. And he said, I'm sorry, mom, but I just, you just can't because the chemo, he, the chemo just leaves yeah. not too nauseous. So he took that test that afternoon after all the other stuff, getting up at the crack of dawn, and he passed that test too. So he, there are a number of examples of his determination. And that was one, you know, he's, he's just a fierce, he's a fierce role model for the rest of us. It's a, it's a, it's a bar that I try to live to on a daily basis. And I probably, I probably get there one day out of seven or something. Mm -hmm. um, 
he's a he's a he's a terrific role model for all of us. So the cancer came back. So a second time he was in remission, and then the cancer came back a third time, and then. And that's when he was in college. So he did was able to graduate from high school and even go off to college, which I find really impressive, because he he's gone went through cancer treatments twice and still you know went off to college like a regular kid. He did, and so he was he was in he graduated from high school. He's in remission. We thought or hoped you know maybe for good. Goes mm-hmm. off to St. Mary's College here nearby here in California, and right away he's. He's thriving in college as a freshman, and and then two months in, uh, you know, the routine PET scan came back, and uh, there was a lemon-sized mass, you know, behind the bladder. So his his world and ours was just shattered because, uh, you know, and you know, as a physician, when it comes back, your odds are not the same. And so, but nevertheless, we said, you know, the odds are the odds, and that's for the aggregate population. So the odds just for your listeners are, you know, if it comes back even once, forget about twice, if it comes back even once, I think the odds are 17% survival rate after five, five years on. And um, so this, in his case, it'd come back twice. So the odds in the aggregate population were not good, but Kevin, we knew and we felt was a naturally very physically strong and healthy guy. He always had been, he'd never, before this, he had never had anything at all mm-hmm. significant happened to him health-wise. And so some percent do get through it and the individual's chances are either 100% or they're 0%, right? Mm-hmm. So we felt probably most of the people who are not surviving this are the the too young, the too old, or the otherwise maybe immune compromised or physically not as strong. And Kevin was certainly much stronger than the average bear. So we just held on to that. And so if anybody could be the the miracle case that they write about in medical journals years from now, our guy was that guy. You know, as a physician, I really have taken another, so I do this podcast for grieving parents, but I also have been working on trying to help the medical community deal with grieving people, dying, kind of feeling maybe more comfortable with that because I feel like we are quick to tell someone some bad news and go, but, 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 but we can do this and we can do this and we can do this and, and almost glaze over some of the hard stuff to try to paint a rosy picture so people don't lose hope. And I wonder what the balance is for that and whether you felt like they did a good job with you or whether they could have done better. I'd love the blend of your experience, you know, as a physician and then as a, as a, as a mother dealing with laws. I think you're on to a, a gap mm-hmm. or an, perhaps an opportunity for, for the society, especially American Western society. And, and actually a gap that I, I was trying to address when I, when I wrote the book, uh, mm-hmm. because you're exactly right. I think the doctors in our case, they were factual, but somehow the message wasn't fully coming across, at least not to Kevin. Right. That's what I was gathering from the book, because I know in the book you wrote that when they finally did start talking about end of life things with him and advanced directives, he sort of accused you of lying to him a little bit and painting too rosy of a picture. So that's why I wondered 
just wanted to ask you what you thought about that and what might have been done differently prior to that or if anything could have been done differently. I think it could have. And I don't look, the people who treated Kevin at UCSF were, I think, exemplary professionals mm-hmm. uh, in, in large measure. And, you know, the questions we're talking about now actually flirt with a lot of touchy areas, you know, like spiritual and religious beliefs and, and all of that. And so I think medical professionals, and you'd know this better than I, you know, they have to tread carefully in this zone and in, and in this region, or that's my perception in any way. And so when I wrote this book, it was in part, it, this was in part the story that I wish we had had a year or two before Kevin passed. And, mm-hmm. and, and the, the point being, at the end of the day, you really have nothing to fear. And that's what I hope is the takeaway and the message here at the end of the day with, the, with, uh, with Relentless is that, you know, this may not, this treatment regimen may not work out. Mm-hmm. In fact, in Kevin's case, he was told that it had about a 20% chance of working out, but he didn't take that as a... You, you a, always think that you're in the 20%, though. I mean, that's, that's the just, thing. That's mm-hmm. the thing. And, and, and they don't you, hear, you don't hear the 80%. Exactly. Right? You don't, you don't hear, hear that. And I don't know that you should. I mean, I, that's that's the balance, right? I don't know that I want people not feeling like they've got, you know, 20% is an okay percent, right? right? If you, this is the thing. If you tell someone they have a 20% chance of winning the lottery, you're going to go out and buy a ton of tickets, right? Because you feel like 20%, that's great. But in this circumstance, 20% is really not great. But I think it just depends on where you're coming from and how you're looking at it. And you always feel like you're going to be in that 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and certainly he did and we did and or, or we wanted that. I mean, I mean, right. I, I come from a finance background and I like to think I know a little bit about statistics and probabilities and so forth. Sure. And so I, I knew because I looked it up, I researched it. I knew what the aggregate population odds were and they were not promising. But I adopted and I tried to encourage Kevin to feel like his odds were better than the aggregate, which I believed, as I said a minute ago. But I think there's an opportunity or a gap there for how we coach people, perhaps through this experience. And uh, I think we're still not quite all the way there. We're probably better than we were three or four years ago, but we're mm-hmm. probably not all the way to bright when it comes to real candor and support around uh, end of life circumstances and situations. And so I, and I don't have the silver bullet. I, I mean, no, what I'm trying to say in our story is that I always historically, I always believed in some sort of other beyond this physical life. Okay. Uh, I was going to ask you that too, but, but I believed it, but I, I didn't have any basis or proof or anything like that. And so what's happened to us and with Kevin is what we formerly believed we we now know it and kevin just you know he's so over the top about getting that message across i mean it's i say in the book that if you know if i would have been convinced with the dial at 10 
he spins the, the dial to 30, almost like beating us over the head, saying, you get, are you getting this? You know, are you, are you getting, are you hearing me here? Are you getting this? And uh, it's so him, it, it so resonates with his personality, the way it comes across. And it's so loving that it just flips and changes your, your whole outlook. And you actually start to conduct your life differently. And uh, in our case, the way it showed up was we met, we moved from a, a parent's grief support group into another group that is more spiritually and afterlife focused. And that group I, I mentioned to you before, it's called Helping Parents Heal. And so mm -hmm. these are folks who are having a, a whole spectrum of experiences that they cite uh, coming from their, their past children. And, and uh, this, this group is so supportive and so healing to each other that it's just, uh, it's heartwarming to, uh, to, to turn these terrible experiences that we've had as parents into something really transformative. Kevin died when he was just after his first year of college. Yes. Right. And so why don't you talk about a little bit about those first months and how things changed for you in that time? Cause I think there was a big transformation in the, the, from the beginning of those depths of grief that you were in, that things changed. Thank you. Yeah, that's a, <clears throat> that's a great prompt. Well, as you know, at first it's like, uh, like this hole, mm -hmm. H O L E, this hole just drifting or maneuvering through some phantasm of an existence. You know, you have this aching, gaping void right through your, your whole torso. And I had actually left my last, uh, I was a chief financial officer for a company nearby here, but I had left that job about three or four weeks before Kevin passed because uh, he was needing a lot of support and I didn't feel I could leave that all to my, to my wife. And in any case, I wasn't doing justice to my job anyway. I was too distracted. So I left the, I left the work and I wasn't in any shape to think about returning to work from a few months afterwards, after Kevin passed, we're waking up, going through the motions with literally almost like zombies for weeks and months on end. And, um, but within a, even a few days, some things began to happen and I could rattle off a dozen or more, but individually, maybe these things that happened, one could say, oh, that's interesting, or that's maybe even noteworthy, Tom, but it's, I don't think it's a sign from beyond. But when you stack four, five, 10, 15 of them together, it, become, it became too much to, to dismiss, I guess. And also, it actually felt like we would be disrespecting Kevin not to acknowledge what, what was going on. And so some of the things that happened were insects or animals or birds would, would behave strangely. You know, for example, four days after he passed, there's a, there was an owl, small owl, just about, you know, six inches high that appeared in the gazebo off of the deck that, that adjoins our, uh, our deck back here. And 
we sat beneath at the little table beneath the Zao for 20, 25 minutes. And it just sat there observing us, looking back and forth that we were talking. And I'm talking to my wife and going, what's going on here? What Have you ever seen an owl behave like this before? We both admitted we had a couple of days after that, uh, a dragonfly almost this color appeared on my wife's car antenna, first on her car antenna. She saw it through the kitchen window. I have seen dragonflies that color in my lifetime, but they're pretty. It's, it's like a bright orange red color. It's a, it's a flame. Yeah. 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 It's like my listeners color... could not see your water bottle that you lifted. So, yeah. <laughs> so we went outside and approached to within a few feet of this. It was perched right on the tip of her car antenna. And then it flew off. And my wife and I, wow, that was, that was cool. And we flew off. We start to come back inside. It comes back and perches in the same spot on the same antenna, facing exactly the same direction. And it stays there for 10 minutes. Flies off, takes another lap around the house, comes back again to the exact same spot, facing the exact same direction. Does that six times. So in some cultures, Native American cultures and Asian cultures, dragonflies are a symbol of transformation. We learned this after, afterwards. And dragonflies are, have been a recurring theme throughout the last two and a half years. They show up in any number of ways in stories from other people and gifts that we've received and in, like in movies that that we watch a, a movie that we saw one evening right after Lainey asked Kevin for a sign, had a dragonfly in it that perched on the tip of our branch, looking exactly like the dragonfly in, in our experience mm -hmm. and on and on and on. And so nature shows up quite a bit. So, I, I'm going to step back for just a second to that yeah. owl. It's interesting because that's the very first uh, kind of story that you shared in the book as well. And I just want to tell you a little personal owl story. So this last year on the second year anniversary of my son Andy's death, which was August 15th, I had put out on Facebook and sent emails to people asking for memories because I was just sad that I had no new memories of Andy. So I sent one to his best friend's mom. And if he could, if she could just ask for him to just share a memory of Andy. And so what he wrote me, he said, I know you asked me to send you a memory, but I want to send you this instead. So just recently before that, he had been in his backyard. He'd come home from soccer practice, which the boys played soccer together. He came home from soccer practice and there in the backyard was an owl that he had never seen an owl before. It just was sitting there just like staring at him through the window. And he mentioned it to his mom and he was like, thought this was really strange. And then the owl went away and then he went to his friend's house and he was so struck by this owl. He talked to his friend and his friend's mom about the owl and the friend's mom said, well, in some culture, the owl could represent a visitor who just died and said he thought about it. Then he thought about Andy and then he kind of put it out of his head. And then the next morning he woke up and he looked out the window and there was that owl again, just sitting there. Wow. And he said, I know that's Andy. I know that's the sign from Andy. This, and he said and that to me, that he knew that was from Andy somehow. 
just how comforting that was to him to just have gotten that little sign. And he'd never seen an owl before, and he's never seen an owl since. But to have that happen two days in a row, he was like, that wasn't coincidence. That wasn't. So anyway, to then read your book and have your very first story be about an owl, and it was very moving for me to read that on that day. You know, it had happened a few weeks before, but it was powerful to me. That is special now back to me. I know. I'm convinced that they're working together. And uh, in our Helping Parents Heal group, we laugh sometimes because we can see examples that our kids are working together. And it's, you know, it's, it's amazing. I mean, so obviously we're parent, we're grieving parents. So there's crying in the group too, but then you would be amazed at how much we, how much warmth and laughter there is in this group when we compare notes and we, we compare stories like the one that you just shared. I mean, uh, that's, uh, that's special for me to hear that back about another owl story is. Yeah. I thought you would like that. I knew when I read that, I had to share that with you. And you know, my background is I come from a very strong Christian faith, but to me, those aren't in conflict at all. They're just not. I just feel like when I get these little kind of God winks, it's sort of from Andy and sort of from God, and they're just working together. You know, I mean, we think back. So the boys had my boys or only two years apart, so a little further apart than your boys, but they sound very similar. Always did absolutely everything together. And they had this Diego ball, you know, like Diego Dora that Dora the Explorer and Diego. So they had this Diego ball that they played with forever when they were little. And when they got older, they still would sort of play with the Diego ball because they could kick it so high in the air, right? It could go just miles in the air because it's this little kid ball. And a few years before, they had kicked it so high it got stuck way up high in a tree and it was stuck there for three years it never (laughs) moved for three years snowstorms wind rain i mean we'd have a really bad windstorm and i think the diego ball will come down nope the diego ball was still stuck in that tree until the day of andy's funeral and that came down whoa so you can't tell me that god and andy didn't orchestrate that that was not a particularly windy day there was no reason that diego ball should have come down then it wasn't particularly deflated even it's i mean it gave us a little bit of comfort that what the heck why is the diego ball now in the backyard right and if i don't know it's there's a lot of I think controversy and there can be people that can feel like this can't happen because of certain their certain religious background or whatever but I just feel like for me God is bigger than that and God can work in many many ways and if God and Andy can bring that Diego ball down to give us a little bit of something you know so be it And I think you also touched on something else that I think is pretty important. When Andy's friend saw the owl and thought of Andy, I think when we have those experiences, I think we have to trust those. Um, When we have experiences that we believe are from Kevin, we always, we always thank him, but we're, we're working against decades of our own upbringing and skepticism and 
doubt. We've all been brought up in this very uh, mechanistic and Cartesian mindset that, you know, cause and effect and the physical and the reality, all this stuff. So the part that has been de-emphasized for centuries in our culture and in our society is the more intuitive, frankly, the spiritual side. And by spiritual, I don't mean religious. I mean other experiences beyond the waking physical state. And so when he saw that out and he thought of Andy, some people would say, some mediums would say, that's how you know it's from Andy because you, it came into your mind and that wasn't from you, that was from him. No, it, it wasn't from him. And it, Andy had been gone for almost two years. And, uh, you know, that was just him coming up with that 100%. But Andy was working with it. So Andy was working with him to send him a message, is my point. And, and he got the message because he thought of Andy. So, and that's what happens with Kevin. We ask for things and he's got a strikingly high kind of what I would call hit rate of answering requests. That's the other thing. Trust a sign or an indication when you receive it. And don't be bashful about having a dialogue with them and asking for things. It's stunning and it's both loving and it's very much, that's the other thing that strikes me is personality survives. There's, I have no doubt about that anymore because his personality is so forceful and so insistent, and which is how Kevin is or was in life. He is that way still, and he shows up that way all the time. And it's so comforting to know he's right here um, and to know that we will see him again and you will see Andy again. Yeah, that is certainly a comfort to me. I mean, it has been from the very beginning. And like I said, I think with my Christian faith, that's certainly where I go and I feel God, I feel God with me. I feel um, that kind of comfort. Um, my listeners have heard this story many times before, but when Andy was seven years old and he drew, he drew a family picture uh, and he was very excited to show me the family picture and he opened it up this big piece of paper and here's a tree and a son and a family of four and we have a family of five. <laughs> and I asked Andy, why are there only four people in the picture? Who's not in the picture? And he just very openly, matter-of-factly said to me, well, mommy, I'm not in the picture. I'm not going to grow up all the way. I'll be in heaven. Wow. Um, which was, you know, very profound for a seven-year-old to say. Wow. And I know in my heart of hearts, I know that, that God gave him that insight so that on the night of August 15th, 2018, my husband and I could know that Andy was in heaven and that Andy was yeah. okay because Andy was not at all upset by it. It was very matter of fact. He wasn't going to grow up all the way. And it's very interesting that that's the way he put it since he died when he was 14, when he was halfway grown, but not all the way. Wow. So it was so powerful to have gotten that message. And I'm pretty sure had I asked Andy the day before he died, if he remembered that picture, he would have said no. Yeah. I don't think he had insight that he was going to die every day. I don't think he knew that. But for one moment, he did get that insight. He did yeah. get that knowledge 
that he could pass to me that I could take comfort in seven years later. Yeah. He didn't dwell on it. You know, he didn't dwell on it. Nothing else. But it was really powerful. And those things are amazing and cannot be explained scientifically. You know, exactly. none of that, none of that can be explained scientifically at all. But it's something I know in my heart of hearts. Yeah, exactly. I mean, actually, I didn't realize this, but uh, Kevin, uh, Kevin and Andy just passed just two months. Two yes, months they apart. did. Kevin, yeah. Kevin was yeah. June of, of 2018. Right. Um, yeah, you're, you're, uh, again, you're touching on some things that, uh, so zooming out for a second from my experience or, or, or yours, it just feels like something at large, something is going on and there's some profound changes going on all around us. We might be at another one of those, you know, leaps forward in consciousness here over the next, I don't know how many years, you know, I'm so, you know, frustrated in so many ways by all the uh, fractiousness and duality that is uh, all around us these days, you know, especially in our political climate, but not only there, it's throughout our society. I'm with you 100%. That is really hard to take now, isn't it? It is. And uh, so the question is, what's the transformation? What's going to move us all together toward a less fractious, less duality-based mindset, one where it's all about cooperation and not all me, me, me. So I think there's something going on at large. And uh, I actually think we all, we all have a role to play in that transformation. It's really interesting, I think, now having gone through this, because I can have conversations with people who are very, very, very different than me in their background, in uh, whether it be religious background, educational background, any number of things. But if we have both lost a child, we have this commonality, yeah. this way that we can communicate and talk with each other, you know, that other people don't have and a different kind of perspective, I think, on life that other people don't have either. I, I, you're, I think you're spot on. I mean, I, and I say this in the book, I thought, you know, I reflect back on it now and, and maybe before Kevin passed, I was, I had maybe 1% of the universe sort of available to me. And I, now I give myself for maybe six or 7%, <laughs> but uh, there is an unlock or an opening or a, actually maybe it's a fissure that just cracks open in this experience. And then it becomes, okay, what, what becomes of that? Or what do you do with that? And I think for me, a lot of stuff had to come out of that crack. I was desperate, you know, of course, for, uh, for my, my son. And I think I was then in some way more open for stuff to, to come in mm -hmm. to that crack. And it's, you know, it's a bit of a cliche uh, to say that, you know, we have to go through pain to grow, but in one another sense, if, if you know, if you don't have the pain, then what's the motivation to change, right? So, what's your motivation to think differently? What's your motivation to be open to different things? Because life is good, right? So, and life was good, and we had a, I think, a, by all accounts, a very, uh, you know, I think a lot of people would say an ideal life and family, but. Ideal on a superficial level and um, 
we are obviously very changed and transformed by by what's happened to us. And I don't value some of the same things I used mm-hmm. to. Like my, you know, my career is, you know, <laughs> it's like it's almost like childhood trophies in the garage or something. You know, it's just like okay, no big deal, right? And what's really rewarding now is a good, a great day is when somebody tells me, as someone did recently, you know, they, they read the book and they said, you know, it made me rethink and feel completely differently about his own father's passing. He, he had not been able to be there when his father passed. And he had always felt guilty about that for many, many, many years afterwards. And he said that after he read the book, he doesn't feel that guilt anymore. He, he knows it's okay and everything. And I go, wow, you know, you not only made my day, you just made my whole week, you know, for you to get that out of what I wrote in our experience, that's, that's more rewarding than any career experience I can point to. Yeah, I feel that same way about the podcast. If I have a parent write to me about how something that came on in the podcast has helped them specifically, or just that the hearing of the stories has helped make them feel like feel more normalized make them feel like they're not crazy and that this is okay i mean when i get those emails those make my day they really that's do. wonderful mm-hmm. and the other thing you touched on that i think is going to be a dynamic you know out there is uh, you know you you don't see any conflict between your experiences and your uh, and your christian faith mm-hmm. and i know because my wife's from Brazil and that's a fairly Catholic country. And, and I have other Christian or Catholic friends too, that some are quite, you know, this stuff is quite taboo, Mm -hmm. even to the point of some thinking that things that we think are signs from our past loved ones are tricks from the devil or something like that. And uh, Mm -hmm. I know that that, there's a segment of the population, the, the Christian population out there that thinks or feels that way. Well, and and that's a hard balance too. I do have to say on my, my end, so I have a foster son who's from Guatemala. They have, they have a lot of witch doctors and witchcraft and mm-hmm. in Guatemala, mm-hmm. any kind of illness they have is really seems to be attributed to a curse. My foster son sends thousands upon thousands of dollars he has in the past to witch doctors to cure his mother from her alcoholism. I see both sides, right? And I mm-hmm. see why those are, they are some pretty evil people that grasp on to people's emotions and take yeah. their money yeah. in order to do these things. So I feel like I have a good balance of being able to see why you can be really negative because gosh every time my son sends money to those witch doctors in guatemala it makes me so mad right i just get so angry and i just feel like you just need to stop this is just evil so i get that but again i don't feel like that is the same (laughs) as what's going on when i get my little Diego ball story or some of that. It doesn't feel the same to me. So I don't know. No, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. It's a tough situation overall. And look, if there is indeed, as I said a minute ago, this sort of evolving 
raised consciousness. I hope there is. I, I, actually, I know there is a, a slowly uh, or more rapidly increasing aggregate consciousness throughout the world. It's like, you know, points in history like the Renaissance or, or even the Declaration of Independence or the abolition of slavery or the, there are, at each of those periods of growth in history, there was always resistance as well. And sometimes, you know, there were, there were bloody conflicts that accompanied transformations, cultural and societal transformations. And I hope this isn't one of the, although, although the pandemic is certainly, uh, it's certainly killing off a, a lot more people than some of the wars in the past, but something's going on. I don't know at all. I don't have all the answers, but there's something that offers us the opportunity to think in a different way and to feel in a different way and to allow for different possibilities, frankly, than the ones that we've subscribed to for the last maybe hundred years and so or hundred or more years. It's interesting. And I'd like to think that, like I said, we all have a role to play in that bigger transformation, that bigger momentum build of a changed consciousness. So it's a, it's an exciting time and in some ways also a bit of a scary time, but at the end of the day, I know what, you know, like I said, what Kevin is teaching us is like, look, there really is nothing to fear. And you just do realize how thin the veil is, right? How it's, thin that veil is funny, between It's funny you that. should use that, that phraseology because I mentioned helping parents heal. We, we mm-hmm. actually met in, in Phoenix or actually in the Cave Creek, Arizona with the founder of Helping Parents Heal just about two months ago. And she said exactly those same words. She says, I think the veil is thin. And so it's funny that you should use the same phrase right now. So talk about that, helping parents heal a little bit and about you starting that group. Because I know you just started it really last August. Yeah, August of 2019. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll step back just real quick. In our own grief uh, journey, my wife and I, for four months after Kevin passed, we didn't, we didn't feel motivated to do much of anything. But finally, we joined a parents grief support group here near where we live in California. And that group was very helpful for many months. And and it met weekly on Wednesday evenings from 7 to 9 p.m. And I got, so I really looked forward to that group Mm -hmm. because as you probably know, not many people out there are are able to speak to you about your experience coming from a position of knowing what it feels like. Right. And so this group offered other people who were going through that same experience and having the same conversations or not with their circles and their loved ones. And so it was a place where you could really get understanding and support. And so we did that for about- You really feel feel drawn to other grieving parents. I know I have for the past few years. I just feel like they get me and I get them. And so we can, we have this commonality. Mm -hmm. Exactly. In that group, we described, and so we were, as I told you earlier, we were getting signs from Kevin within days after he passed. And that continued and some even more forceful than the ones I've already shared. And we shared some of those stories in our group. And the reaction was interesting. So the group consisted of between 12 and 18 people, depending on who showed up every week. 
And over time, we began to see that we were in the minority of the group when it came to people sharing these kinds of experiences. Maybe two or three other couples shared stories of what they believed to be signs coming from their past children. And then about two thirds of the group were not. Mm -hmm. And in addition, the moderators of the group, they didn't overtly discourage us from telling our stories about signs from our past loved ones, but nor were they encouraged. And when I read the body language and the looks of the people around the room, I got the sense that stories of signs from past loved ones generated a little bit of tension in the group. And in addition to that, we began to see a number of parents in the group, they would tell their story in February and then you'd hear the same story in April and then you'd hear it again in July. And so we could see that a number of people were sort of stuck there. There were people in in that group who had been there for years. Mm -hmm. And then we were moving to a different place. And so finally we drifted away from that group. And Lainey, my wife, she researched online and she found Helping Parents Heal. Helping Parents Heal is a non-dogmatic, non, it doesn't subscribe to a religious subscription. It's very welcoming and embracing to it. People of all religions, cultures, lifestyles, but it emphasizes the afterlife aspect of people who passed and embraces that. Lainey, my wife, researched it. And she found that this was a worldwide group at that time, about 13,000 members. But in California, there was only a chapter of that group in San Diego. And if your listeners know California, that's, that's a nine-hour drive from here. So she said, well, gee, what if I start a local chapter? And I said, honey, knock yourself out. That's a great idea. And so she got another mother who we knew who had lost her son also to sarcoma by by chilling coincidence. And the two of them opened up the San Francisco Bay Area chapter of Helping Parents Heal. So that started, as you pointed out, in August of 2019. We had eight parents, including the two of us. And I think we're getting on. We've been doing Zoom meetings for the last several months because of of, uh, COVID. But I think the online membership of this chapter now is up to almost 50. Wow. So, and that's just what, 14, 15 months later, which is a good news, bad news kind of a thing, isn't it? Um, mm-hmm. Fortunately, there's a lot of parents out there who've lost children, but I have to say that participating and contributing and, and helping form this group uh, has been like the story I told a minute ago about the friend who told me about how my story changed his feeling about his father's passing. The transformation that we've been able to see in so many parents who participated in our group is so rewarding and so heartwarming that it's just been like, I wish I could make a linen doing that, right? I mean, that's (laughs) that would be the ultimate because uh, that's far, far more rewarding than anything I've ever done in, in my professional career. So my hat's off to my wife, Lady, for taking the initiative to, to form that chapter of, that, of this group. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. The international group is now over 15,000 people in different countries. Like you are, are doing God's work. Well, it's funny because after Andy died, we were pointed to, there were a couple different parent support groups in our area. 
and the one that we went to was Starlight Ministries. That is a Christian-based group. The other one was not faith-based at all. And we, I found myself gravitating, of course, towards the Christian-based one because I needed to go to a support group with hope. Yeah. The hope was so big for me that I didn't want to go to one where... I mean, because I talked to them about it. I mean, we, we, I talked to the intake person about it and, and she said, well, we wouldn't be discouraging about you talking about your faith, but we don't talk about it at all. And, and I felt like, gosh, that's such a key part for me as I need to have hope. And I think even though yours is different in that it's not a religious based on a specific religion, it is still very spiritual and I think it does have that piece of hope that I feel like I craved. And in some ways, you know, it's certainly less restrictive and that our group, although they do allow people from other faiths, it, it is a Christian background. So anyway, I encourage you for doing that and I encourage you for having something where you're not scared by having a spiritual approach. No, uh, far from scared. In fact, I'm now more. So now I look for it all, all the time. And uh, it, I've told some people and some of the people in our parents group that some, some, some get less, fewer signs than others. And, and I've told them, and I would say we're, we're at the end of the spectrum where it feels like we're receiving more signs than many. And so then the trick, if there is one, maybe part of the trick to picking it up or receiving it or recognizing it is being relaxed and calm and open and open. Being open and not being wound up in what bill you have to pay or what deadline you have. Or as we talked about earlier, the political situation we're in, which is pretty wacky, but being open and relaxed. And then if you pay attention, you might be surprised what shows up. Um, and so. Yeah, I'm going to share one more little thing that happened actually the night Andy died that I didn't find out about for a few months. But, you know, the night Andy died, we were we were in the car on our way to a baseball game where we were ended. Andy was killed instantly. And we found out, I mean, the, on the side of the road, we found out. So I made some calls and one of the calls was, of course, to our pastor. Um, my daughter was not with us at the time. So the, one of the pastors had to go to our house and go get her and bring her to the hospital. So he had to then call his wife because he he's was on his way home. He, the pastor, had to call his wife. So he called his wife. Um, there, He's a younger guy. He had a little boy at the time who's like two, I believe, may have been three, two and a half, three. Um, and he was taking a shower or a bath or something. And she he just sent her a text. Andy Larson has died. I need to go pick up Catherine. I'm not coming home. Something like that. And she read the text, was got very emotional, obviously, and thought, I need to step out of the room for a minute, pull myself together before I can get Sam out of the bathtub. So she did. She just went out in the hallway just for a second wiped the tears off her face, got her back, herself back together, never talked to him, never mentioned anything to young Sam in the bathtub. Comes in, drying Sam off. Sam spontaneously says, he's in heaven with his friends, Mom. Wow. 
And she said, who is, honey? And he said, some boy. I don't know his name. <laughs> but you talking about openness, because I shared that story at work. And, and one of my co colleagues, who is a strong Christian man as well, he said, you know, sometimes I think the kids hear it more. They yeah. hear those, they hear God's still soft voice a little bit easier. They because been... he heard that, he heard that voice and he just told his mom. He didn't know Andy. I mean, he didn't know him at all. He just knew that he got a little message that some boy was in heaven with his friends. And this is within 30 minutes of Andy dying. Wow. Yeah. So it just, again, that goes to the openness, right? So if you're more open, which a little kid doesn't have all that society telling him that that's crazy to block yeah. that out. He has no filter. He just exactly. says it. Exactly. Just says I love it. that story. So it's... I think you have less of a filter, right? You're open to see things more than many others probably at this point. My wife seems to think so. I think there's far, far more available to us than we know. It's just kind of just out of reach or we have to break down certain mindsets in order to be able to sense it or feel it or see it. And it's, it's tantalizing how close it feels sometimes just out of reach. And I got to get there. I can, I imagine my son is encouraging, but sometimes frustrated that dad, you're so close, you know, but, uh, got, got more work to do. Thank you so much for coming on. Tell us how to, that we can get the book. So they can get it on, on Amazon. Okay. T type in, in the search bar, just type in relentless Madsen. Madsen is uh, M-A-D-S-E-N. I will make sure to put the link right on my website too. So I'll do oh, a great. little write up and I'll just put the link right in there. So to people who subscribe to the email list, you should get the link right there. And then to others, just go to my website and you'll be able to click right on the link. Wonderful. Thank you for doing that, Marcy. And, and any, to any of your your listeners who, who end up uh, getting the book, I, I, I love feedback. So especially those of you, you know, if you have a story that either echoes some of the stories that Marcy and I are sharing or, or if on a great day, if it's causing you to think a little differently about your own experiences, uh, I just soak up those stories. So uh, mm -hmm. happy for feedback. Thank you for doing this. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.